Good morning, friends. I'm so glad you could be with me today in the Unfolding the Word ministry. If you've been with me for a while, you know we've been working our way verse by verse through the first epistle of John. I hope our study together has been useful to you as we've been unfolding little bit by little bit the amazing truths that God has packed in to that particular epistle. Today I want to pick up our reading in the fifth chapter, verse 18 through verse 21. My intention is to examine these verses over the next five days and draw a conclusion to our study of 1 John. Let's read it together. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we're from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The context of these final verses in 1 John has been the context of the discussion of God's disciplinary hand in the life of his redeemed children. You and I have been adopted, once we had our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have been adopted into the very family of God. Heavenly Father now, as a true father, takes seriously his child training responsibilities. He will discipline us, train us up, when to help us to grow, to pull us away from those things that would end up hurting us and preventing us from being all God created us to be. A good father is involved in the discipline of his children. When we don't deal with sin properly, now what does it mean to deal with sin properly? Well, we've talked about that, to confess it, to admit it to God when we've stumbled, to repent of it and turn from it and move on in our Christian walk. All of us will stumble at times. But when we don't deal with the sin properly, when we resist confessing it to the Lord or resist turning away from it, then God begins a disciplinary work in our life. He doesn't do that to make us pay for our wrongdoing. No, as we saw, he does that to bring us to our senses so that we can move forward in growth. And the discipline that he employs gets progressive over time to get our attention. And we are to be praying for brothers and sisters in Christ who are under God's disciplinary hand, or at least we think they may be, because of persisting sin and rebellion. God's great goal, as I say, is to give life once again. <laughs> we talked a little bit about sin that leads to death, sin that doesn't lead to death. Let's summarize it all by saying God is a God who practices tough love, with his children, and we wouldn't want it any other way. <clears throat> he loves us. He will do what's best for us. Now, John, under direction of the Holy Spirit, ends this whole epistle by reminding us of a number of critically important truths. In fact, as I read these verses to you, the word know, we can know, kept recurring over and over again in these final verses. So John is ending the book under direction of the Holy Spirit, as I say, with a series of reminders telling us about things that we can actually know. And by the way, 
we've talked a number of times about the fact that the English word no, which we find translated in these various portions of the scripture, sometimes is a an English translation of the Greek word gnosis, which means experiential, relational knowledge. Sometimes it's a translation of the Greek word adon, oida, which refers to factual knowledge. In these verses, at the very end of 1 John, we're encountering the word adon, oida. God has used both words throughout the book, actually, but in this final portion, he's underscoring for us some facts, things that we can grab a hold of, and I use that phrase, take it to the bank, things that we can take to the bank. We can take it to the bank independent of what we're feeling at the moment, because you and I both understand that circumstances can make us feel a certain way. Circumstances can make us feel very despairing, very discouraged, can make us feel very elated. God says, listen, these facts I'm sharing, these things I'm sharing with you are things that are going to be true no matter what is happening circumstantially in your life. And he's going to talk to us about things that we can know about trials. He's going to talk to us about things that we can know about the world system in which we find ourselves situated. And then finally, things that we can know about ourselves as redeemed children of God. Well, join me as we begin to work our way through these various knowing issues that God is drawing our attention to. Verse 18 is where we'll start. We can know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. One of the things we've been talking about throughout 1 John is the amazing wonder of being made a new creation. When we repent and believe in the gospel, God plants within us new life. We are born anew. New creations, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it. This is true for everyone who has repented and believed. Now, one of the results of that new creation is that we've been changed fundamentally at the deepest point of our heart and life. What that means is that sinning and the temptation to sin, now, while still a present reality in our life, goes against the deepest level of our heart, where prior to new birth in Christ, it aligned with the deepest level of our heart. So God says, I've changed you fundamentally at the deepest level of life. You will still stumble at times. As he said, I'm writing these things to you in the second chapter so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, he ends the first chapter by saying, anyone who says they don't sin is lying to themselves, lying to God. So we will stumble at times. But now, while we stumble, our deepest orientation has fundamentally changed. This point has been made repeatedly throughout 1 John. Of course, throughout the New Testament as well. But we're looking at 1 John now and unfolding it together. God says, you've been made new. And I am working within your life to protect you in two distinct ways. Protecting you through Jesus Christ. He is the one who was born of God who in turn protects us. Remember Jesus saying, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
God says, I will protect you. We can know that everyone born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. God promises protection for his children, only for his children. God may at times provide protection for those that aren't his children yet, but he doesn't promise to do so. But for his children, he promises protection. The word protect here, the Greek word tario, which means to hold securely, to set a guard around, to keep from being surprised, attacked, and overcome. God says, I'll guard you. I will protect you. I will watch over you. And I will do that in two very distinctive ways. Number one, I will protect you from your own frailty. God, in other words, will protect us from ourselves. What do I mean? His Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. His indwelling Holy Spirit alerts us to when we're drifting away from the Lord. We've already been talking about his disciplinary hand. God will do more than convict us by the Holy Spirit. He will begin to do disciplinary tasks in our lives to shake us, to bring us to our senses. God protects us from our own frailty and propensity towards sin. Isn't that a wonderful promise? At the moment, as Hebrews 12 says, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Yes, I agree. But the outcome is to be trained and have the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Reread Hebrews chapter 12 and underscore for yourself that wonderful, wonderful promise. God will discipline us to keep us safe. Secondly, he tells us here, he's going to protect us from the evil one who stalks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. God says, I will protect you from Satan's ability to touch you. The evil one does not touch him. The word touch is a translation of the Greek word heptomai, which means to lay hold of or grab. Did you know that Satan can't grab you? God says, I won't let him do that. I won't let him do that. Now, the question comes up, well, if that's the case, then why do we th find things like Ephesians chapter 6 and calling for us to wear the, the armor of God and face the spiritual warfare? Why are we warned about Satan stalking about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour? Well, the answer to that is that when God says, I promise that he cannot grab you, he cannot touch you, it doesn't mean he can't tempt you. It means you can't. he can't pull you away from the hand of the Lord. We're going to talk a lot more about that tomorrow. Join me as we continue our study of these final certainties, these things that we can know in our Christian walk.